0: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and Exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24 7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID 19. Call now at 1 888 Recovery. That's 1 888 Recovery.
0: Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter.
1: Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning on this beautiful first Sunday of the fall. We're so happy you joined us on Your Radio Doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Emergency medical service, the priority is to deliver quality patient care in the most immediate period of time following an injury. An auto accident, a fall, cardiac arrest gunshot or knife wound someone without oxygen can suffer brain damage in just four minutes brain death in as little as 8 to 10 minutes in many cases it could take 10 minutes or more for emergency medical personnel to arrive more than 4400 workers died on the job in 2017 70% of those deaths were from heart attacks occurring before reaching the hospital today we are very pleased to welcome Jim Gretz he's the manager of Jefferson Transfer Center and Jeff Statt, the communication center. Jim is a certified critical care paramedic and the manager of Jeff Statt and has a master's in business administration. Jeff Statt is Thomas Jefferson University Hospital's medical transportation service with a staff of critical care nurses, paramedics, EMTs, who respond 24 hours a day, providing advanced life support, critical care ambulances, air medical helicopters in southeastern PA, Jersey and Delaware. A bit later, we'll hear a little more about the scope of their services. Jim, welcome. I hope I did the vast number of services uh, and you, the credit you deserve. Thanks for joining us today.
0: And thank you for having me, Dr. Ritchie. It's been a a pleasure to be here.
1: And congratulations, newlywed. Something to celebrate. It is, thank you very much. Well, Jim, they're frightening statistics. Without oxygen, brain damage in four minutes, eight to 10 for brain death. What can our listeners do in various emergency settings while they wait for the arrival of you and staff uh, like you?
0: Well, the most important thing is honestly is, is first aid and also recognizing that there is a problem. We talked a lot with the American Heart Association in 2005 and 2010 They, uh, in their recommendations. They talked about the fact that recognizing that somebody was having a cardiac arrest was one of the biggest barriers to providing care. So one of the biggest things that we advocate for now is that if you see somebody who has fallen down, who is, uh, you know, lying on the ground where they shouldn't be, um, that you look, take a look at them, and if they're not breathing or not breathing normally, and you don't think you can feel a pulse, that you should start CPR, and you should call for an ambulance right away. A long time ago, or As I would say, you know, about 20 years ago when I started doing um, all of these uh, emergency trainings, we used to tell people about how you had to run to get to a phone and then come back and start CPR. What we tell people now is that how many people are without their cell phone? Put your cell phone on, dial 911, put it on speaker, and start compressions.
1: Brilliant, because that's definitely... um... I'm going to say approaching two birds. We don't want to say kill two birds because, and then that way too, as they answer, they can hear you can talk and CPR. That's brilliant. Because, and the other thing you always say is yell unless you know you're alone, but somebody might be able to help you two sets of hands better than one. So yell and then call 911. And as you say, you're going to look and see if they're breathing. Now, how about if they're gasping? That doesn't count. Yeah.
0: No, that doesn't count as normal breathing. It, it, it's That's what they said no normal breathing. And one of the things identified by the American Heart Association was that many times when you shook somebody, they would take a gasp and people would think that they were breathing at that point. And that's not normal breathing. Those patients do need to be resuscitated. If somebody doesn't need CPR, they'll tell you. And if you're doing compressions, um, Mm-hmm. on them, and they're not telling you to get off, they probably needed compressions. Mm-hmm.
1: And and if you're not sure, go ahead and do the CPR. I guess probably the worst thing that could happen is that it's not sufficient, or you could break a rib. I'm I'm living with a broken rib right now. It's not fun, but it's all good. And the, now the current um, instruction is to not do mouth-to-mouth if you're a layperson, correct?
0: Yes, lay rescuers that we're teaching them not to do mouth-to-mouth, mostly because the most important part of compressions is, so the most important part of CPR is the compressions. And there is, you know, oxygen does come in and out a little bit while you're doing the compressions just because the chest is going up and down. But those compressions themselves are the most important part of it, and the breathing is the hardest part. So if we can get lay people to do compressions-only CPR, that's a a step in the right direction. In fact, there's some EMS... uh, communities around, including Pennsylvania, that are advocating that when the first ambulance shows up before help shows up, that even the paramedics and the EMTs on the ambulance are doing compressions only CPR for up to 10 minutes.
1: Wow. And you want to keep the patient on his or her side, I guess, in case they vomit so that they don't aspirate?
0: If they're breathing and have a pulse, we mm-hmm. we can do that. If they're not yeah. breathing and don't have a pulse, they're going to be no. on their back.
1: CPR. Yeah, and I uh, one of the mainstays we were always taught was to elevate a person's feet to keep the blood flowing to their head. You don't recommend that anymore.
0: No, it's no longer a recommendation. Uh, keep them warm. If so, if you have a blanket, instead of sticking it under their feet, uh, covering them with it. If they're uh, if they're breathing and have a pulse, is an excellent thing to do. Um, and then I know a lot of us learned a long time ago or recently some of us that we, uh, they used to tell people to worry about if they were having a seizure uh, to make sure they didn't swallow their tongue, people actually can't do that. Um, the injuries that I see from people attempting to get their hands in people's mouths is, uh, are actually pretty bad. So please, if somebody's having a seizure, keep your hands out of their mouths. They will Plus... not swallow their tongue. <laughs>
1: Plus, you know what else? They could push the the, the tongue back and and really add to the person's uh, difficulty breathing. But the other thing, as you already said, if somebody doesn't need CPR, they're gonna tell you, but if somebody's trying to stand up, you always say don't hold them down because you might hurt them more, right?
0: Yes, yes, no, so we we were all taught along, uh, we were all taught at the beginning of my career too, is that if somebody was on the ground and somebody was in an accident, don't let them up, they might hurt themselves. and you had to get the spinal immobilization and we all saw the backboards and the collars and all of that, we still have that, but we reserve that for patients who um, have deficits or have some complaints that are concerning to us. The patient that wants to stand up and walk around, that's not a patient that's very concerning to us for for a, a spinal cord injury. They don't have something major if they're able to walk around and if they did have something and we're fighting with them to hold them down, we could actually hurt them a little bit more.
1: And if you see a car accident, do not get out of your car, Good Samaritan, but you could get injured on the highway, just call 911. What should listeners know about AEDs or the defibrillators?
0: So AEDs and defibrillators are great. Um, The AEDs are everywhere anymore. They're in your malls, they're in your gyms, they're in your workplace, and they are an excellent tool for helping people survive sudden cardiac arrest. When they first came out, there was an emphasis on making sure that we had trained rescuers using them. Now, everybody from the American Heart Association to the Pennsylvania Department of Health to, you know, physicians and EMS instructors like myself, we recommend if you have somebody who's in cardiac arrest and you started compressions to get an AED as soon as possible and to use it. Uh, The way you use an AED, I'm going to give everybody a quick training on how to use an AED. Uh, Get the AED. Turn it on follow instructions. It will talk to you. It will walk you through it. Um, some of them might have um, might have, uh, pediatric pads and some of them might not, but the if you're doing CPR and you have an AED, it doesn't matter the size of the victim, just use the AED. It is better to use it than not to use it.
1: And the readout will say shock or don't shock,
0: am I right? It will tell you to shock or it will tell you to start CPR. Either way, it will give you instructions. Great you don't have insight. to make any decisions.
1: Good to know. Let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with more on emergency medical service. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. I'm Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie with my colleague from Jefferson, Mr. Jim Gretz. Jim, we were talking about what people, lay people, should do while they wait for the ambulance to arrive in an emergency. What if they find a, a patient who's bleeding, be it a family member or a stranger?
0: So the always, the best thing for bleeding is direct pressure. That's the first thing we tell people to do. Um, you'd want to, if, especially if you don't know the person, you'd want to put a cloth in between that, uh, your hand and the person. Um, I think that, you know, if they're bleeding a lot, a t-shirt is always a great way to go because you can not only can you put the direct pressure in there with your hand, but you can also use it to wrap around and, you know, tie it there so it holds direct pressure. Um, you can elevate the wound, so if it's an arm or a leg, you can elevate it above the heart. That's going to help out a lot. And if that's not sufficient, Uh, Tourniquets have come back in vogue. You actually will find some co-located with AEDs, but if you don't have one of those available, um, a belt or another shirt just tied above the injury on the limb, you know, closer to the body on the limb, as tight as you can go, is going to help out. some people may remember rotating tourniquets and loosening tourniquets. We don't do that, that anymore in the field. It's we put it on, we tighten it, and we just let them know that it happened. And we wait for the physician staff to take that off. Mm-hmm.
1: I guess um, it's, it's not such an easy direction to say what if they're bleeding from the chest or abdomen. I guess keeping them flat is one good idea.
0: So keeping them flat uh, and calling for help. Uh, Don't remove anything that's poking out of them. So, you know, when you mentioned earlier about stabbings, if the knife is still in there or the the object is still in there, we're not going to remove it. But we are going to put direct pressure on that wound as well. Um, Obviously, trauma to the torso is very, very dangerous. So ambulance and get them to a hospital as soon as possible is what's needed there.
1: And you mentioned a very good thought. We all want to jump right in, but we have to worry about blood and hep C and AIDS and all those things that we can contract, but um, people are more likely to have gloves on board now because of COVID. So maybe every once in a while we find a silver lining with COVID. But so now we talk about what if a patient, uh, I'm saying patient, what if somebody's trapped in a vehicle, especially if the car might catch on fire, what, what should a lay person do while they wait?
0: i mean if they if the person in the vehicle can get out themselves that's great um i've seen all these heroic videos of people uh pulling people out of burning cars just remember that that is very dangerous and if the car does explode or if the gas tank ignites you will likely get hurt when it comes to patients who are stuck in a car this is honestly best to wait for the professionals to come and get them out especially if they are um, as we would say, you'd hear sometimes on the news, entrapped or confined in the vehicle. Because at that point, they're going to use, the fire department will use special tools, the jaws of life and other things yes. um, to open up that vehicle and be able to pull the person out. Um, if the person's able to get on their own, great. But if not, it's generally better to wait for the professionals if at all possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Now, we talked the other day and you mentioned if a person is unconscious and you perform CPR or they happen to wake up do not carry them to the second floor thinking, oh, put them in the bathtub, wake them up. Why would you say that's a bad idea?
0: So, you know, this is this, this trope that I see all that, that we've seen frequently. And I worked uh, pre-hospitally for, for 20, 23 years. And Um, For people who are unconscious, who either for whatever reason, whether they were at a party and drank too much or they were unconscious for another reason, for some reason, everybody thinks it's the best idea to um, put them in a bathtub full of cold water. Um, The issues with this is, well, first of all, it makes them cold. Um, But second of all, most of the people doing this aren't in the best frame of mind and and aren't thinking this through clearly. And then when they leave them in that pool of water hoping they're going to wake up, We could actually end up with a drowning event because of that and make the problem far worse. Uh, The best thing for these people, for the unconscious person, is like I said before, is make sure they're breathing. Make sure they have a pulse. If they don't, start CPR. If they do, keep them warm and call an ambulance. Mm -hmm. Um, The ambulance crew will be more than happy to help you out. um, And it's better to let them take care of the problem than for you to try to diagnose it on your own.
1: Sure, I, I came up with a few different scenarios that I could ask you. If you have any quick one-liners, uh, if somebody if you think somebody's having a heart attack, they're having chest pain. What do you tell the layperson to do?
0: With the chest pain, is call an ambulance and have them chew uh, up to four baby aspirin. Um, you can chew one regular aspirin, too if you'd like, but that doesn't taste very good. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But the non the, the baby aspirin, the non-enteric coated, they're at least uh, orange or cherry flavored, depending on what the package says.
1: Right. How about if an adult or child falls in an awkward position? I know I broke my uh, fibula, which isn't as bad as tip, but my, my uh, ankle pretty badly a number of years ago, and I was sitting on the steps on my leg like a pretzel. What do you do when you find somebody in an awkward position? Leave them sit there? Or I guess it's a common sense question.
0: So for that, honestly, uh, position of comfort until the ambulance gets there. Um, Because we try not to reduce fractures in the field. But one of the things that we do do is try to make sure that they aren't, uh, that we cause them as little pain as possible. And when the ambulance gets there, one of the biggest things that we can do is the paramedics do carry some pain medication to make that movement a little bit better.
1: Smart. That makes sense. A public pool, the lifeguard will have basic life support training. What happens if a person is found unconscious and it's a private home, at somebody's backyard?
0: Um, step one, get them out of the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're in the pool and they were unconscious, step two is going to be start CPR.
1: Mm-hmm. How about a burn injury? Uh, what initial steps should a layperson take? Do you want to put cold cloths on them? I mean, what do you do with the burn?
0: So... For first-degree first burns, they, they still recommend uh, cooling it off, um, stopping the burning process. So um, cool water, uh, running water is good, the, not ice. Um, mm. And then wrapping it for the burns that have blistered and burns that are open, so your second, your partial and your full thickness burns, uh, dry dressings. Um, please stop putting butter on burns. Mm. And um, this, this, it's still a thing even today, um, and we work very closely at Jefferson with the Jefferson Burn Center and Dr. Hughes with the Burn Center, and we still have people putting butter and ointment on burns. So please, uh, water for first-degree burns, um, anything open, just dry dressings and no ointments, no salves, no nothing
1: nothing takes like butter to a whole new meaning Mm -hmm. a whole new level what if a person touches a live wire how scary is that is there anything specific that you would tell the onlookers to do
0: so this is a very hard one actually especially if it's a live wire like um, if a poles come down outside Um, especially um, with alternating current which is what you see most of the time outside it's a little bit easier most people will let go of it. With direct current, like with a car battery, a lot of times they'll hold on to it, um, and mm. they won't let go until, you know, their muscles give out. But especially without, with uh, when you have a storm and there's a uh, wire down, down outside, um, resist the urge to go get that person. Mm. Um, they're going to fall down. They probably become unconscious. But do not approach the life wire until you have assurances it's been shut off because one of the things people don't realize is that especially with the wires outside, um, with you know, Pico and the electric utilities, is that they try a few times to reconnect. So they're going to re-energize. Oh, oh golly. So you wanna make sure that that is shut off before you approach it. And people don't realize that.
1: Good point. Choking, that's a whole separate issue that we should spend a little time on. And if we have to take it in the next segment. Is that one of the times that you don't call 911 first because you want to jump to try to Heimlich first? Would you say?
0: So, if you have a cell phone, always call 911. Okay. Um, great. It's always a great thing to do um, for choking. Um, nobody have I, never once have I seen somebody doing the universal symbol for choking the the hands on the throat. I have never seen that. Hmm. I have seen people jumping up and down with their arms in the air. That's what I've seen mostly when it comes to choking. Um, uh, the Heimlich maneuver is, or the, or the abdominal thrust, as they're calling them, certain places now, if you get behind the person, uh, wrap your arms around them, and you're just going to put your thumb, basically, on their belly button and pull in and up and just go over and over and over again until the food comes out mm-hmm. um, or whatever object is blocking comes out. Um, and you're only going to do this if they can't cough, breathe, or speak. If they're talking to you and they're coughing, um, you don't need to do the Heimlich maneuver. Just watch them. Mm-hmm. Um If while you're doing the Heimlich maneuver, they pass out, you're going to let them, you're gonna help them to the ground. And at that point you start CPR.
1: Good, that's straightforward. And so you answered my question, when should you not use the Heimlich? And if they're alert and oriented, they can cough it out more effectively than you. What about if a person's pregnant or very heavy or obese?
0: So pregnant or very heavy or obese, we can actually do, there's some modifications you can do. Um, For people who are obese, you can help them you know push them against a chair or you can just move right to like wrapping your arms around their chest and pulling in on the breastbone and that's what i recommend for pregnant women as well is if they're choking to wrap your arms around them and put your fist on it push on their chest onto the chest bone just like you were doing cpr but standing up
1: great information we'll be right back after this break come back and listen to more about emergency medical service
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
1: And we're back with Jim Gretz from Jefferson. I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Jim, you made a very good point that sometimes it's not obvious when somebody's choking, they're not doing the universal sign holding their neck. They might not be able to talk. Their breathing might be noisy. Maybe they're coughing or their skin, their lips and nails turn blue. We talked about how you'd use the Heimlich maneuver. What about a baby or an infant? How do you dislodge something that they might've swallowed or a toddler?
0: So with infants, uh, it's the American Heart Association, as well as many other organizations, recommend the five chest thrusts and five back blows, and you continue to do that until the object becomes dislodged. And uh, unfortunately, on a radio program, it's a little difficult to demonstrate that, but you would support the baby's head and kind of have them aimed with the feet slightly higher than slightly higher than the head, and you'd give it... Um, like five chest compressions and then you'd flip the baby over into your other hand and give it five uh, blows, uh, five back blows, which is just you're hitting the baby in between the shoulder blades with the palm of your hand Mm -hmm. um, five times sharply. And you continue to go back and forth like that as long as the baby is is moving around. Mm -hmm. Um, If the baby becomes limp, like with the adult passes out, then you're going to move to CPR for that.
1: Mm-hmm. I remember when my oldest was uh, two years old, he gra- he managed to grab a, a hard candy and swallow it. And he's, uh, I, I turn and I see him and I think, what does he have in his mouth? And all of a sudden he went, oh, and I picked him up as quickly as I could. And just as you say, I had him sort of sprawled out on my left arm. And I did that on his back and out popped the candy. I will never forget that. Um, I watched my dad used to uh, have trouble choking off and he must have had a web or narrowing it as esophagus and i watched him one i actually licked him twice and it worked he would go up to a wall and just bang his back on the wall and it would pop out all kinds of uh, mother of invention right
0: no yeah i agree they they teach people now that uh, if you're alone is to find a chair with a very sharp back and to put until they like, basically drop your weight onto it with that the chair in your stomach
1: yep Yep. So that would be from the front. So Narcan, that's so much more available to lay people. We should talk about that a little bit because Narcan for our listeners means narcotic antagonists. It's the medicine medication that we use to reverse somebody who's having a drug overdose. We don't reverse the person, we reverse the overdose. Uh, but what does a lay piece of person need to know about that?
0: So, a lot of times people are going to have this if they have a friend or a loved one who um, may have some opioid addiction issues and you know in the middle of this opioid crisis there's so many more uh, people that have this and are afflicted by this and this is a very important step that can help keep your family member, your loved one, your friends safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Having Narcan is is a good thing. If you find somebody who you suspect is overdosed on uh, on an opioid or an opioid an- agonist, we are going to go ahead and we can give this Narcan. And most of the time now, they're giving us these nasal Narcan dosages. Um, the big thing that I always tell people to remember is that it takes time to work. Mm-hmm. When you give this drug, when you give Narcan, especially if you you know if you're giving it intranasally, which is how it's mostly given out to lay people now, if you're going to put it into their nostril, you'll squeeze it um, and you know, be familiar with the preparation that you have. Some have two doses in it. Some say put half of it in one nostril, then twist it and put the other half in the other nostril. So be, just be cognizant of which kind you have, um, and then realize that it's going to take between two and five minutes to take to have any effect. It's not instantaneous. It's not like if you've seen the movie Bringing Out the Dead, where they give the, uh, the, they give the, the patient the Narcan in that movie, and he sits straight up, and he starts breathing again. We're not going to have that reaction from the nasal version of this. It's going to take some time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you also don't want to give multiple doses. Like, give the prescribed dose. Um, some people think that you can't have too much of it. Um, you can, it's difficult nasally to have too much of it just because of how it's absorbed. But if you have too much of it, um, they can react a little violently to this and, you know, they can vomit, they can aspirate, they can start coughing against a closed glottis and cause themselves pulmonary issues. Um, and they can become uh, a little violent sometimes if you give way too much. So it's best is just to give the prescribed dose, um, following the directions, and then you're just going to wait for them to start, Um uh, waking up um, and the thing to remember here is that they need to go to the hospital. Um, please call an ambulance. Don't do it. Try, try to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. The ambulance is not going to come and judge that person. No. The ambulance is going to take care of that person. Um, this is to help them along is to get, give them this. Yes. And, if the patient does stop breathing and doesn't have a pulse you're going to have to start CPR and yeah. this is a one this is an incident that is actually very survivable now that we have narcan and CPR readily available
1: mhm and and you make very good points um, it's so important to review these nuances while people are listening and they're calm because when the time comes and, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that there's a nasal version because it's scary to give somebody else a needle if you're not a medical person. It's scary. The nasal form is hallelujah, that's available. And um, the other thing is, as you say, if the person wakes up, which you hope they will, still take them straight to the emergency department because the Narcan might wear off. And if there's still residual narcotic that outlasted it, they can overdose a second time. So always take the person. They're not gonna be happy with you that you uh, woke them up because they're gonna be very uncomfortable, but you've saved his or her life, which is beautiful. So Jim, in general, if a person in your family has chest pain, we already said, make sure that you have baby aspirin on hand or a regular aspirin, and you think it's a heart attack, call 911, do not drive them to the hospital yourself for, for so many reasons, because on the way professionals can start an IV and, and maybe do CPR. Plus if you're driving, you can't give CPR, right? So
0: that's very hard to give CPR when you're driving. And the other thing that we have, we have is the paramedic ambulances now, um, if they carry nitroglycerin, they can do a 12-lead EKG. They can alert the cath lab. They can have so many synergies uh, with the hospital and make sure that you're brought to a hospital if you're having, a, uh, if you're truly having an MI. Make sure you're brought to a hospital. They can do your cardiac cath immediately.
1: Yeah, so it's that's a really good the idea key to get
0: them going. Yeah, that
1: is that is a really important message. You're calling the hospital. Have all the equipment ready. We're going to do a cardiac cath and maybe need a stent or a clot buster. And that's beautiful. What are the most common mistakes lay people make in an emergency?
0: Um, thinking they can fix it themselves. Um, putting the patient in that tub of cold water. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess uh, the, th- the other thing that people do is they they put off the warning signs. They're having chest pain, but they, they shake it off. Um It's gotten a lot better with chest pain, but with stroke right now, um, one of the biggest barriers to to good stroke care and good outcomes is recognizing there's a problem. So um, we've all had those people that have, you know, woken up and they said, "Hmm, my arm feels a little numb, but maybe it'll get better. Mm. Um, If it doesn't immediately improve, you need to call 911, you need to go to a hospital. Um, The best thing that we that we saw was the, if you can't walk, talk, or speak. So if you can't walk, see, or speak, um, you might be having a stroke. Hmm. Call 911 and get to a hospital. Um, because time, time is heart for MIs, but time is brain for strokes. And we have a tendency right now for people that they ignore the symptoms of stroke. So anything weird numbness, weird tingling, things that aren't immediately going away, you should get that checked out. Get to a hospital, uh, call your doctor if you have to, but get to a hospital and get that checked out.
1: And you know, we've, we're up to almost 90 shows since we started this uh, wonderful journey on Your Radio Doctor. The very first show I had was a, a brilliant cardiologist and this, the theme of the show was, is this feeling in my chest heartburn or heart attack? And so if you've never had heartburn and you're over a certain age and it's just not going away, so you go to the ER and spend a little time. It's better than waking up not alive, right? Always choose to go to the ER. And ER over urgent care when there's chest pain because they can't do much at urgent care for that. Um, where can a listener take a course in first aid, even basic life support? Mhm.
0: So first aid, basic life support, there's many places you can go. Um, The American Heart Association uh, and American Red Cross both have websites that can refer you to different organizations that teach. Um, We teach uh, layperson CPR at Jefferson. Um, So if you go to education.jeffstat.org, there are BLS courses that you're able to take. Uh, we don't do a lot of uh, a lot of layperson first aid. We do, however, do um, a lot of outreach with the Stop the Bleed campaign um, through our trauma division, doing community outreach in in high schools in Philadelphia, teaching them about tourniquets and um, and direct pressure. Um, it's become unfortunately it's become a really big topic with the increase in school shootings that Aww. they've wanted to have us come out and do that kind of training for the students and teach them about how to use AEDs and things like that.
1: Well, as we said, if uh, if a person's equipped to know where the emergency brake is when the truck's rolling down the hill, maybe you know you're saving lives. Um, Jim, tell us what. We'll have more time in our last segment. What kind of services does Jeff Stat provide in terms of air transport and ambulances? I know you've you cover a wide area.
0: So Jeff Stat for air ambulances and ambulances, we do um, critical care inter-facility transfers. So we have. Um, Each aircraft has a critical care paramedic and a critical care nurse on it and and a pilot. Um, So the sickest of the sick, um, patients who are coming in for cardiac catheterizations, patients who are coming in for uh, interventional radiology or interventional neuroradiology, or even now the hot topic is patients who are coming in either for an ECMO consult or already on ECMO. Our Mm. team goes out and transports these patients back. Um, We also do handle... Um, emergencies on the Jefferson campus in Center City with our ground ambulances as well as a lot of ground ambulance uh, critical care retrievals uh, in and around the Delaware Valley.
1: Sure and I know sometimes you'll say there's a patient in a doctor's office waiting for an appointment or in the middle of appointment and they they pass out or something and we can't just walk them to the ER you come and pick them up.
0: Let's take a little
1: yeah let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Jim Gretz from Jeff Stat.
0: Thanks for listening to Your
1: Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA, 1-888-RECOVERY. And we're in our final segment with Jim Gretz from Jeff Stat. Jim, you did mention that there's a great campaign called Stop the Bleed. You're going into high schools teaching young people what to do if they witness a, a shooting and how to apply a tourniquet, that's probably a nice opportunity to say also, if one of your friends passes out because they've had too much alcohol, um, again, you don't wanna carry them home, put them to bed and say goodnight because you don't want parents to find out, etc. Take them to the ER if they look at all unstable because they could vomit and aspirate in their sleep, they could have, die of alcohol o- overdose, it's endless, yes?
0: Absolutely, call, uh, take them to the ER, call an ambulance. Uh, when somebody is sick and, and hurting and in distress, it's always better to ask for help. Um, don't try to hide that stuff. Um, it's very important just to get help.
1: You do not want to live th- with that on your soul or your heart. Uh, finally, Jim, uh, Jeff Statt transfers people from hospital to hospital ambulances, but air, to air um, ambulances as well. What's the most unusual case you've ever been called to help with?
0: So that's a tough one. I mean, I, I've done a lot of uh, a lot of interesting cases over the years. Um, when the Pope was in town, we um, mm. we helped arrange getting uh, both um, a transplanted organ to Jefferson and also oh. the patient who was going to be transplanted in. It took us about 12 hours total to coordinate all of that. Oh. Um, and uh, I was going to say the other the other ones that we've had before is just the uh, I, I had a patient who called me because they needed an ambulance a week ago and they wanted to tell me about it.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it is it's it's the it's, it is, it is always a little different and interesting, yes. um, the different things that we get to do.
1: As my father and would say, expect the unexpected when you're dealing with people.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: If somebody wanted to take a CPR course, they want to learn how to do cardiopulmonary resuscitation and they want to take it at Jeff, what website or number would they call?
0: So the best the best way right now is to go onto our website. It's uh, education. Jeffstat. Org, and um, it's on there. All of our course offerings are on there, including uh, CPR, which is uh, listed as uh, BLS Basic Life Support CPR, and it's available um, at least every Thursday on at 8 o'clock and at 1 p.m. Um, and we do have it some other days, but the regular de- scheduled days are every Thursday 8 a.m. and 1 p.m.
1: Beautiful, so that's a good start. Education. Jeff. S-T-A-T dot org. Stat, of course, means I need it right now. Um, and I know you've had other experiences like landing your helicopter on the AC Expressway or on the Turnpike or I-95. It's very um, scary. And uh, thank you for all the hard work you do to teach people what to do in an emergency and for being there to rescue people in really really dangerous situations i know you've saved a lot of lives and we're all grateful to you for that so thanks for joining us today
0: thank you for having me you real champion presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute I know you've got the heart of
1: the and now for your real champion i call this segment someone saved my life tonight for two decades we've seen a steady rise in suicide rates the question remains Will the COVID 19 pandemic play a role in increasing rates even more? The illness itself, social isolation, economic stress, closing of religious centers where people often find support, barriers to mental health treatment because of restriction at healthcare facilities. For over 30 years, Michelle Manzo has helped to educate first responders how to recognize signs of mental illness and how to interact safely with these patients. Her students include police officers, correction officers, dispatchers, negotiators, Amtrak police officers, FBI agents, park rangers, and staff from Homeland Security. The goal? To teach safe crisis intervention and enable that first responder to de-escalate a situation, help to comfort the patient, and bring a sense of support and calm. Michelle is a crisis intervention education specialist at Montgomery County Emergency Service. She wants the first responders to learn how to keep everyone in the crisis safe, including themselves. The center has virtual reality programs. Trainees wear goggles and have to react when a virtual unstable suspect lunges at them with a screwdriver. Michelle's a negotiator herself. She's often gone out with officers. When I asked what the most difficult situation she ever faced, She instantly recalled the times when she convinced somebody to come down from a roof, another occasion when a person was perched on a bridge. Thankfully, all situations ended safely. When I listened to Michelle recount some of those situations, I could feel my own mind begin to race and my own heart beat more quickly, which leads to the question, how do first responders and negotiators get out there and do this work over and over again? How do they stay calm? Where do they find peace? It takes a person with empathy to devote themselves to a life of service in crisis intervention because these situations don't always end on a good note. How does a paramedic feel when they do CPR, but an infant dies despite their best effort? How does a police officer feel when they answer a call about domestic violence, and by the time they arrive, it's too late? Outcomes out of their control, but anyone with an ounce of feeling is going to hurt and carry that pain for some time. Then maybe it's hard to sleep, easier to yell at your kids, become detached. Who provides comfort and support to the first responders who provide comfort and support? Well, for over 20 years, Michelle has worn another hat. She volunteers as the vice president of the Critical Incident Stress Management Team. Volunteer first responders help their peers. No one can understand the stress of crisis intervention like a colleague. Trained to be a sounding board, often giving peer-to-peer sessions. First responders often hesitate to find help because of the stigma. They're the strong ones coming to the rescue, asking, why can't I help myself? They might also worry about losing their jobs. So the team will look for red flags. Maybe a colleague seems agitated or withdrawn. It starts with, hey, Fred, wanna meet for a cup of coffee? Sometimes the person just needs to vent. Others might need counseling. As Michelle says, it's okay to be human. You wouldn't be effective at your job if you didn't have feelings. Looking beneath the vest of those paramedics, firefighters, police officers helps them share their struggles and remove the stigma of reaching out. Michelle Manzo helps save the lives of first responders who save other lives. We salute you, Michelle Manzo, your real champion. Thanks for listening today and every Sunday. Hear all of our shows again on YourRadioDoctor.com. Send us a story about a champion in your world to info at your We thank our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and appreciate support from Rothman Orthopedics and Recovery Centers of America, all helping to bring this important information every week. If you'd like to partner with us in the show, contact info at yourradiodoctor.com. Ladies, call 215-503-1631. To come to Pink Plus, get two or three cancer screenings in one visit. Pink Plus, 215-503-1631. Now, welcome the fall with the best music you'll ever hear, the sounds of Sinatra. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie, your radio doctor, wishing you a wonderful week and reminding you that your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre recorded.